that you're saying to Ken. Log Talk Radio. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start. Guaranteed to blow your head apart. And welcome back to the show, everybody. Seth and Sean Sports Radio on Blog Talk Radio, BackSportsPage.com. We are here on a lovely Tuesday afternoon in Atlanta. I believe it is the same in New York. And we are instituting a new question of the day that we'll start later in the program. But we're going to go over the next, I don't know, eight to ten weeks with uh, the question that we will ask you and ask ourselves is if you are the commissioner of the major sport, and we will obviously preview next week's show in, in, um, in advance as to what sport we will be talking about. Today will be Major League Baseball. If you are the commissioner of that league and you had unilateral authority, no players association, no fans, no nothing, what one change would you make? So we will talk about that later in the show, but that is our new segment here. That should last us probably until football season. Hi, Seth. Okay, so I don't know why Seth's – oh, well, he was in the lobby. Hi, Seth. Mr. Palmer, always a pleasure. Uh, sorry, I was <laughs> taking my one-year-old out of the sun. So my, my, other, my son is watching PJ Masks. My, fa- my father is holding my daughter. So as good a time as any for me to spend 55 minutes talking sports. Hi, Marty. How you doing? Anyway, so, yeah. I mean, look, we, we, we have our special thing of the day, which will be, if you are the commissioner of baseball, what will you do? But we'll talk about that in a little bit. The first thing and primary thing that has happened in the last week, and it seems like every week we talk about another NBA trade. And this week, we talk about the inevitable trade, or what was the inevitable trade, of Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets, not the Miami Heat, who we thought he was going to. Would you like to roll back your comment about Sam Presti? So when I heard of the trade, and I heard that Chris Paul was traded for Russell Westbrook, but not only was Chris Paul coming back, but two first-round picks were coming back, and now Sam Presti has 16 picks in the next 10 years, including his own. Seth, I, I, I know we talked about his drafting last week, and, and we talked that it's been a little shaky, but look, even you and I can pick one superstar out of 16 picks. I got to think. I'm pretty impressed by him and what he's been able to accomplish. Even Danny Age is impressed by him. Danny Age yeah. is jealous. Danny Ainge probably is jealous. And, yeah, good to be on the show as always. Um, it is it is uncanny. I mean, 16, 16 first-round picks in eight years, 
or something ridiculous, or something ridiculous. Um, no, I, I'm honestly surprised the amount that came back for Westbrook. I did not see that much coming, and now they're going to try and unload Paul. Whether it's to, you know, I'm not sure which contender really needs a point guard at this point, unless they're going to try and trade him to Miami and see if him and Butler can make a run in the East. Because you look, you look through the team, Toronto is not going to trade for him. Milwaukee is not going to trade for him. Um, Philly signed Ben Simmons to a five-year, $170 million contract. Not bad for a guy who's never made a shot outside of 15 feet. Um, Golden State's not. Portland's not. The Lakers, I don't think, have... The Lakers, I don't think, have anything to offer because well, we they talk, have no draft. We talked about we talked about this last week. Are you really offering anything other than cap room? Because if I'm Stan Presti or I'm the Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't think I'm getting anything of value back for Chris Paul. I just want Chris Paul off my roster. Three years and 120 some odd million dollars, and I'm 3.7 million into the luxury tax. I can't imagine that he's going to get anything of value back. In fact, he might have to give value to somebody to take that contract. One of probably well, those two first round picks. I don't think you're going to have to give up. I think it depends on where you're going, where he ends up going. Um, but I agree, you're not you're not going to get substantive value for for a 35 year old point guard who's making 35 million dollars a year. Um, I don't know who has what to trade for. I mean, we're talking the Lakers certainly can't trade for him, and they have to give up. You have to give up something to make a salaries match, but you just signed Correct. all these players, so the Lakers Correct. aren't in play. The Clippers are certainly not in play. Um, having signed their two big guys and re-signed Beverly. Portland's not in play. I mean, I'm trying to – New Orleans is not interested. I don't know what contender wants, would want him. The only well, here's team the that thing. Was, so, so here's okay. the thing. None of the teams that sign free agents can trade them until December 15th. Correct. Okay, so let, let's, throw, let's throw that out there. Now, that doesn't mean – Guys that were traded can't be traded until December 15th. This is just free agents. So they can't be traded until six months after they sign their agreements. So if you're looking at teams such as the Lakers, the Lakers aren't going to be able to make that trade, even if they wanted to make that trade, until December 15th. The Knicks, the Knicks can't make that trade until December 15th because they don't have – for the same reason they barely could cobble enough to get Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis is half the salary of Chris Paul. If you look at Portland, Portland doesn't have the, the match with salary unless you're looking at trading Damian Lillard, which they're not going to do. So you're looking at teams that have the available cap room to do this. And not either A, the cap room, which nobody has – $40 million in cap room, or the accumulated salaries of players. And let's remember, half of the NBA was a free agent this summer. 
So if yeah. half of the free agent, half of the NBA is free agents, that means half of the NBA can't be traded until the December 15th, which leaves Miami and Miami and Miami, unless New Orleans is trading Drew Holiday, which they're not. So, or Utah is trading Mike Conley, which they're not. Rudy Gobert, or basically a franchise player, which they're not. Miami, for better or for worse, has an expiring contract in Gordon Drogic, which is $20 million. And then they have a couple of smaller smaller guys like Justice Winslow, which is about 10, and then they can cobble a little bit more. To me, Justice Winslow is a positive coming back in any Chris Paul trade. So, you look at that, and you're saying, all right, if Justice Winslow is coming back, even if it's just as part of the salary accumulation, Sam Presti has to be giving up something, which has to be a first-round pick. And it may have to be two. I mean, that is a lot of salary. And the other thing about Miami is they are hard capped, Seth. They cannot take on any more salary. So it has to be... Match for match. There is no uh, additional salary that they can take on. The only, other, the only other team in my head, and I have not done the paperwork on this, and maybe I'll go to the trade machine while you talk a little bit, is Detroit. Could Detroit take right. on Chris Paul with a trade of Reggie Jackson and some others in there? And I'm going to go do that right now in the in the trade machine. Well, they, regardless of whether they could, and apparently Layla agrees, Oklahoma City is not taking Reggie Jackson back under any circumstances. Um, they did not. He did not leave Oklahoma City on the best of terms. You know, it's because he deemed himself to you know he, he was. Slightly overpriced, over to say the least. And I'll tell you, I'll, hold on, I'll tell you, they'll take Reggie Jackson back. You know why they'll take Reggie Jackson back? Because Reggie Jackson has one more year at eighteen Last million year on the contract, and and Chris Paul has four more years at thirty-eight million. They'll take yeah. Reggie Jackson <laughs> back, even if it's just to stretch him out and and wave him. So Reggie Jackson at eighteen million, Tony Snell at eleven million for two years, and Langston Galloway at one year and seventeen million dollars makes that trade work. Now, is that a trade that Detroit makes? That's a whole different story. But the trade does work in the trade machine, which I'm surprised I was even able to make that. So um, that is that's a trade that can work. The thing with Detroit is they have no guard. You have a center in Drummond. You have a power forward in Griffin. You have barely any. You're the only team in the NBA, it seems, that doesn't have any legitimate swingmen that have that have proven to have had have any substantive value. And your point guard is is a guy that they're they can't wait to get rid of in Reggie Jackson. Would would Chris Paul at this point in his career make them a first of all? Do you, does Paul do, do you really want Paul and Griffin playing together? 
which if you're Detroit, sure. I don't think you have to determine. Do you want four years of them playing together? And on the flip side, in a severely weakened East, where you have Milwaukee, Philly, and then everybody else, and both of those teams certainly have, or certainly are not perfect. Could it? Could could you go Lob City East, and could Paul get you to a conference finals? Would he be the missing piece? Now I don't think so, but I'm just trying to think from from Dwayne Casey and Detroit Detroit's point of view. Because otherwise, why would you trade again? Why would you trade for a 34 year old point guard who you, they owe 130 to 140 million dollars at this point? Agreed. There are a couple of other trades that I just put in here. So Charlotte can make the deal. Now, they did just sign Terry Rozier, but they can make the deal if they use Nicholas Batum. So that that works. And having Chris Paul go back to Charlotte, that's a whole different story. Then you have Minnesota that can make the deal with Andrew Wiggins and Gordon Yang. But then Sam Presti is basically saying, I'm willing to take four years of – Andrew Wiggins' max contract for four years of Chris Paul's max contract. Which I'm not exactly sure is such a bad idea, but that's where, that's where that stands. So there are three or four teams that can functionally take it. To your point, who would want to, and how much would Presti have to give to do it? And I think if – I think the only one – the only one – where you can state that Presti would not have to give a first-round pick is probably Minnesota. Because Minnesota can get out of the Andrew Wiggins deal and put in Gorgie Diang, who they've also looked to trade, who's another two years, and that trade was Chris Paul, and let's say I'm trying to match up salary so nobody takes on any money. Let's say Patrick Patterson who has one more year left, that works. Patrick Patterson and Chris Paul for Andrew Wiggins and Gord Gian. That works. That's an Except I'm pretty – And that is – you're pretty sure what? No, it's just it's – just, it, now, I forget who – didn't – oh, Minnesota's trying to trade for D'Angelo Russell. That's him. Because I was trying to think – because right. Teague's point – Teague is their point guard, and he's done after the year. And he, he's certainly Correct. not going to be re-signed. I mean, Paul gives that team some professionalism, but I cannot imagine, you know, with the and Minnesota would love to get rid of Wiggins, but I can't really you, I just see put, that. I, just, I put Teague in the trade, and it doesn't work. Um, I'd have to add more to Patterson from Oklahoma City, and I'm not sure there really is anything to add. That's Andrew Robertson instead of Patterson would probably work. Let's do that. So, And that would be interesting because Pat, because Robertson, if he's healthy, or, or Dennis Schroeder would definitely work. But if Patterson is healthy, oh, no, that doesn't work. Why? I have to cut $12 million from the Timberwolves. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, maybe I don't have to put anybody in. I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure this out. Maybe I don't have to put anybody in. Don't have to put anybody in? Nope. Doesn't work either. Now I have to cut 1.6. Okay, so Teague and Wiggins don't work. For whatever reason, they don't work. 
So uh, there'd have to be some massaging in there. But if you put Keegan Keegan Williams for for Paul and Robertson, so Robertson goes to the Timberwolves, which along with Covington and Culver make them an immensely good defensive team. Paul takes over, and you have Wiggins and Teague, and Teague is on a one-year deal. So you eliminate that $19 million after next year, and you're basically trading Wiggins for Paul. I'm not sure that that trade doesn't pass muster for both of those teams because Minnesota is basically capped out anyway. In some regards, I think it does, and in some regards, it doesn't. Chris Paul is not going to play in Minnesota at this point in his career for four years. I just don't see it. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I, I think that's, that's really what it goes back to. Wiggins is getting a new start in Oklahoma City for a team. You know, that's not really out of bounds. He needs a new start somewhere. He's been an extraordinary disappointment to Minnesota, but they still have three years, three years left on the deal, I think. Um, Wiggins, Wiggins but, is four years left. Oh. Glenn Taylor, what were you thinking? And but you look at it. Well, that that's, and, that's why I thought it might work because Paul and Wiggins actually match up perfectly, like for time wise. But you're right, Chris Paul is not going to Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, but is he going to Detroit either? I mean, that's the thing. Does it matter? Does he go to? Could he? I mean, Atlanta's not in the picture. Boston's not in the picture. Brooklyn, Charlotte, Chicago? Not on that timeline. Nope. Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee, the Knicks, Orlando. He, Orlando would love to have him, but, again, not on the timeline. Toronto, no. Washington, no. Dallas? Oh, Dallas would be so much fun. <laughs> I'd really enjoy seeing him in Dallas. No, but I don't see Denver. Yeah, I don't the see problem Donish is... doing it. I mean, there's a very simple. It's, a, it's very simple. Nobody wants this contract. It is the yep. worst. Con- it is, for all intents and purposes, the worst contract in the NBA at this point. Yep. Westbrook is what yeah. four, he's four years younger than Paul, something like that. Where, you know, even because at that point, obviously they're overpaid, but it's just it's subjective to the degree of overpayment. And Westbrook is still going to be an above-average player for the next couple of years. Paul is not, or not, you know, not the next. Not for the not for the contract. So I don't see who trades for him. I don't I don't think who's gonna take him. I just don't. You know, maybe I'm I know he's been talking with that he's been meeting with Presty about this. But I just don't see it. Well, I put the odds of the three teams look. I think Charlotte is actually the best fit. I do. Because Charlotte needs a guy. Wow. 
Because right now they don't have a guy at all. I mean, you look at their roster. Steph, I'm looking at their roster. Their roster is Nicholas Batum, Terry Rozier, Bismarck Biakabo, Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, some McDaniels. I don't even know who the guy is. He doesn't even have a picture on who? NBA.com. Who? Exactly. He doesn't. I knew. I didn't hear you Jay said. McDaniels. Jay McDaniels. Doesn't even have a picture no on NBA.com. Jalen McDaniels. Is that Wahoo McDaniels' son? Cody Martin, who was a second-round pick this year. J.P. Makura, Shelvin Mack, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, Malik Monk, P.J. Washington, R. Franks, Mikael Bridges, Willie Herman Gomez, Dwayne Bacon. That is the best name in the NBA. It's Dwayne not. Bacon. Oh, I'll come on. Dwayne... I'll still take Ruben Boomchi Boomchi. No, he's not in Although the NBA Although he hasn't been in the NBA in about I mean, if you want to go back to old names, Uwe Blob is the best name. Uwe Blob. Anybody <laughs> that's named Blob, especially if they're a center, is fantastic. And Devontae Graham. Let's put it this way. The Charlotte Hornets have four guys on their roster that don't have a picture on NBA.com. And they have nobody yeah, on their roster. Yeah, that They have nobody on their roster that averaged more than 13 points a game last year. So, Chris Paul? Maybe? I mean, could you do any worse? The only reason I can see Paul going to Charlotte is that that's where he's from, North Carolina. I believe he's from North Carolina. It's where he played college ball. I think it's where he met his wife. Maybe if they want to go back there. For Rozier. Well, you can't trade Rozier. No, you can't. And to me, I, I just don't. I don't get the val. I don't get why Charlotte would want him, having just spent twenty million on those year. That makes no sense to me okay. at all. Charlotte wants him because Charlotte needs to fill the damn seats. I mean, do you think a thirty-four-year-old point guard? Do you think a thirty-four-year-old point guard is going to fill the seats? More than Terry Rozier and Dwayne Bacon. I mean, right. I mean, Seth. Right now, their starting five is Cody Zeller, Terry Rozier, Nicholas Batum, P.J. Washington, and Malik Monk. That was horrendous. I'm not disputing that. So, yeah, they they get rid of three. They get rid of two years of Batum. Let let's. Give them, let's get rid of some bad contracts. So two years of Batum, and I'm looking for the other bad. They had one other bad contract. So two years of Cody Zeller at twenty at fourteen million. So they got rid of two years of Batum and two years of Zeller. They are replacing it with four years of Paul. I understand it's still four years of Paul, 
and one year of Patrick Patterson. So they're out after one year of Patterson. And they make that trade, and that trade is successful. And if you're Oklahoma City, you're going to have to throw in a first-round pick. You absolutely have to. So if you throw in the unprotected Miami pick for next year, I think it's for next year, maybe for the year after, and you're Charlotte, and you're building for the future because you have to build for the future because you just saw what they had. <laughs> and, Seth, they are ca- that team is capped out. I know. And they won't, pay the, they won't pay the luxury tax because it's Michael Jordan. So, look, I know we've talked about this as nauseam, and it's now going on 25 minutes uh, where Chris Paul is going to land. But I think this is the solution here. So you trade Batoon, Batoon, Marvin, Marvin Williams, or Batoon and, and Kate Gilchrist? So I got – no, no, no. So I got Batoon and Cody Zeller, okay? So both on two-year contracts. Now, here's the, key, the piece to resist on. Oklahoma City is $3.5 over the tax. With this deal, they lose $3.8 so they fall under the tax. They shed four years of Paul for two years of these guys. So in two years, these guys are gone. They don't have to worry about it. They could even stretch out Zeller right now if they want to, or Batum right now if they want to. They could stretch both of them, get them off the cap. And stretching doesn't really help when you're rebuilding. I was just going to so, say. Or you yeah. just eat it. Right, or you just eat it. But the fact is, they would have to pay $38 million for, for Paul. They're paying $39 million for Batum and Zeller. So if they're paying – wait a minute. If they owe – if they're $3.8 million over the cap, and they're paying right. Paul $38 million, and they're paying yep. Batum and Zeller $39 good Lord, million. How does this put them under the yep. cap? Is there because you're adding Patrick Patterson. You're adding Patrick Patterson's five million dollars. Oh, okay, that I didn't know. Okay, so so every trade has to be within a hundred and twenty-five percent if you make right. a trade. So you're adding that extra twenty-five percent to get yourselves under the cap, uh, under the tax. So it's a so if you're adding a first-round pick which I think you have to anyway, because there's no way this trade goes without a first-round pick. You're adding a first-round pick to save yourself not only the repeater tax, but that $3 million for Oklahoma City based on the last three years is almost $20 million. I think this is a no-brainer if Paul's okay with it. I, I, and I don't, quite frankly... I don't care if he's okay with it. I make the trade. But, okay. So we've done enough on this. We, we spent, what, tw- you know, it's funny. We, every year during football season, we say we're not going to talk football all the time. And we talk football a lot. And then we get to the offseason of football, and we say we're not going to talk football all the time. So we talk basketball all the time. <laughs> it seems like we're just, it, it's a good problem to have, given that, we do this once a week, and, it, it, and we, we have something to talk about. But I can't wait till the next trade because 
something else. And where the next guy goes and whose sneakers are going to be used best. But, okay, so something else that happened on Sunday was a tennis match that lasted forever. <laughs> forever. I mean, seriously. I mean, we talk, we talk every year about the best ever and then the best ever and then the best ever. And we, we talk about Federer being the best ever. First of all, there were, there were two, guy, two people that played on Saturday and Sunday that lost. My first question is, Serena loses on Saturday, Federer loses on Sunday. Is this the last time we see them in a Wimbledon final? No. Um, Federer, well, Federer is still the problem with the two best cross-court players in the world. As proven by the way he lost to lost to Djokovic. If Serena can be motivated more run, then I would see I wouldn't see why not. I think I think she can make another run. But that's that's that has to be that's that is her call. I guess you can tell very sad. Yeah, I don't know if it. I don't know if it's you or me, but if you're moving, if you're moving around, I'm not hearing you. Sorry. Um, I said I don't. If Serena is motivated. She can, she'll be back. She can very well make a championship. Federer, I see no reason. Based on he's kind of he's always been a bit rejuvenated, as shown by his play against Nadal, which was phenomenal. And he was brook. He was brilliant against Djokovic. He very well could have won that match. Obviously, he had two match points. Okay, so Seth, if you're moving around, we're hearing every other word again. So either stay still or go to a spot. Okay, I'm sitting. I'm sitting in the spot. Okay, great. So if you're so so, okay, okay. So explain to me. Explain to me how this tiebreaker thing works in Wimbledon. Because I was – so I was watching it online. I did not watch the match, although in retrospect I probably want to right now. Um, and it seemed like it just went on and on and on and on. And when I played tennis way back when, when I stunk, but made you run around for a long time, um, I remember that there were – Lots and lots of tiebreakers, and then you had a tiebreaker, and the game eventually ended because you had a tiebreaker. Okay. What's so different about it's... Wimbledon these days that there are no tiebreakers? Well, there are. What there's what there hasn't been is tiebreakers in the fifth set, and they decided after I think it was last year's. Now this this was brought up several years ago. 
with the John Isner Nicholas Mahout game, which apparently somehow remembers, although she wasn't even a twinkle at that point. Um, and then last year, Kevin Anderson, I think, in Isner, I think was 26-24 in the fifth set. So what they decided to do, and I think it's absolutely correct, is to avoid a fifth set that could go on for, well, let's be honest, days. They limited it, instead of having a 6-6 tiebreaker, because they don't like having, to a degree, tennis pure is almost equated to penalty kicks in soccer. Ending something, ending a match in a tiebreaker, because it's really just exp- it's just the expedition. I'm not saying I agree because I don't, but you you don't see six-set tiebreakers in the majors. So they decided instead of having it at six-six, they set it at twelve-twelve. And go figure, the first year that was enforced in the men's final, it went to twelve-twelve. Okay. I mean, look, uh, whatever the rules are, they are, right? I mean, as long as both parties yeah. knew. The, and, and from what I understood, Djokovic didn't even remember that these were the rules. So, or at least he the new rules. He didn't know the – he knew it was in play. He didn't know – it was kind of like Donovan McNabb in the tie. He knew at a certain point it happened. He didn't know when exactly it was. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So – Overall, tennis got a little bit of a jolt with these two wins. But let me ask you this. True or false, the next American woman in a major will be Serena Williams. In a major final? Major final, yes. Um. I think that's the wrong question. Um, okay. Probably, because I think she could very well make the U.S. Open final. I think the more accurate question is, will the, in the next three American finalists, will them be a man? And the answer is no. Wait, what? Uh, the women... Say that again. You have, the next three people, next three Americans to make a major final, will any of them be a man? Yeah. Be a man? And the answer is no. Okay. Next five. Okay, so who will they be? They'll probably be Sloane Stevens. They'll probably be Madison, who won the U.S. a couple years ago. They'll probably be Madison Keats, who's gone to a, who went to the final get Sloane Stevens. You'll probably see Serena. You know, we don't know if the Coco, if Coco Gauff, who was a 15-year-old who made such a cheer, whether she becomes a star, whether she becomes a we didn't. Don't remember the reference. It was up the 15-year-old before um, Coco Gauff. Uh, no, on the men's side, there's nothing. There is no... There is, okay, is, if, if you're moving... You're moving around again. We're not hearing you. Okay. On the women's side, it is, in, first of all, it is a complete open game. With Serena a step back, now Simona Halep is, is, a top, is a top player in the world, and she won her first Masters, first major, excuse me. But in Naomi Osaka, who's number two in the world, who's a Japanese woman who beat 
um, Serena last year at the U.S. Open. But for all intents and purposes, it is wide open in the women's game. In the men's game, it's almost ridiculous that in the last 10 years, there is nothing, nothing has changed. Except Andy Murray kind of was in the big four for a few years and then took a step, then because of injury, kind of took a, took a massive step back. It's Judge, it's Federer, it's Nadal, and then it's everybody else. Realistically, until it's not, which could be another couple of years. So, the U.S. women's side, fine. On the men's side, not pretty. Well, that was going to be my next question. The next American man in a major final will be a person that is currently playing or a person that is not currently playing? I'm going to go with Francis Tiafo, who is – I don't know if you ever read the story. It's pretty great. He was – I think parents, I think, were Haitian immigrants, and he – and then he was a groundskeeper. I think he was a groundskeeper at a at a, at a, uh, at, a at a country club in Maryland, right by the border. And he learned to play from there. He's about eighteen or nineteen. He has huge upside. But we've had a lot of Americans who've had big upside and just haven't hit that level. Um, but he was under eighteen, number one in the world. You know, he's the best hope. He's probably about nineteen or twenty right now. He's probably the best hope they have, but you know it's not something that I'm really holding my breath on. Okay, one more question, and then we'll we'll shoot off from tennis. An American male will win a major before Djokovic retires. True or false? Uh, yeah. True, because how do, you, strikes how, do you, how do you like that one? How do you like that one? That's a good one. I like that's that. Not, yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty much, Djokovic strikes me as a guy who will play until he is dragged off the court. Right. So that gives me probably, I believe, 32. So that gives me six or seven years. I think he'll be a guy who yep. plays at least 38, 39. And okay. Yeah. I'll say make one one will make the final before then. I can see that by the law of averages. They, I mean, they haven't had they haven't had an American in a major final. I don't think since Roddick, which is oh six oh eight. So another five, six, seven years, probably somebody will be due, or someone we've never heard of, who's fifteen, sixteen years old, who's playing in the in the. In the uh, under 18 in the boys in the boys stuff. Um, will be 21, 22. I'll say in the next six or seven years, someone will make it. Okay. Well, that leads me to a follow-up question. Why is tennis so successful for the women and not for the men in the U.S.? I think, well, first of all, I think there's a couple things. Um, number one, I think the men have more options of sports to play. It's not a cool sport, but you see them playing basketball or football or baseball. Soccer is cooler. Hockey is cooler. Golf is probably cooler, although God knows how. Did you just say say soccer is cool? 
Wow. Okay. Cooler than Ted. than Ted. Have you watched what the World Cup? All right. Fair enough. I think. I think from a women's perspective, for sports that you can go professional in and make a real career out of, basketball, but soccer you can barely make a career out of. So you're really looking at basketball, tennis, golf. So I think more of the athletes go there. I also think that when you had Sampras and Agassi and Todd Martin and Michael Chang, the 10 years before that, you had, you had Americans who inspired McEnroe, who, whether you liked him or not, was incredibly charismatic to root for and to follow. And you had Jimmy Connors, who was charismatic. Sampras was not charismatic. You know, Agassiz was, but Agassi was, was so all over the place over his career, it's a little bit harder. The other guy was Warren either. No, people didn't really up aspiring to be different. But, I mean, think about for, especially for African-American athletes, for American, African-American tennis players, you had, you had the ultimate in someone to reach for, someone to idolize, someone to admire in Williams sisters. From both a you know, from a prof- from an athletic standpoint, Serena's the greatest women's player of all. Could be the greatest women athlete of all time. Venus goes down probably the top ten to fifteen women's player of all time. Serena could go down as a top player of all time, men or women. Um, so you had twenty-year-old people who have talking about Madison Keys, uh, Sloane Stevens, you know, Bethany Sands, you know, Coco, Coco Van, uh, Kiki Van, Van Kiki Vandeweghe's daughter, Coco Vandeweghe. You know, all these players who had American tennis players to aspire towards on the female side. The men, after the Sampras Agassi, there was a huge drop-off other than Ronick. You know, Marty Fish had one or two good years. Taylor Fritz had a, had a run here and there. But, or Tyler, Tyler Dead, excuse me. But um, nothing ever materialized. You know, as great as Ronick was, he won one Grand Slam. Now, he was the second-best player in the world probably at a lot of that time behind, behind Federer. He's certainly the second-best player in the world on grass. But, you know, it just – it never – the follow-up never – them never materialized. Okay. All right, that's fair. So, okay, so let's move on to baseball because we had the Midsummer Classic last week. Um. Then we had Tyler Skaggs and everything that happened with him. And now we're into the dog days of summer, which Seth loves about baseball in August and coming up soon. And the fact that he's in for the home stretch. And now the way I view baseball is I love this long summer. And Seth is like, give me another month and then I'll start caring. How many baseball games have you watched besides the one that was last night? Last night doesn't count. Um, you talking about an entire game? That's yes, an entire game. Yeah. None. No, I watched for a couple of at a time, even though. No, not an entire game. Okay. Good point. 
Okay, and how many games do you think you've turned on at any one point? Is it under 10? No, probably more than 10. No, I'll put on for okay. a game or two at a time. Um, and that's, okay, and that's know, fair. Until we, hit, until we hit August or September, not that interesting to me. Okay, so tell me about last night. You took Jake to his first game. Jake did go to his first game uh, for the Yankees, Delores, and a buddy of mine who you know very well, Mike Narenberg, hooked us up. We got we were sitting in, in practice, and we ended up getting, we went early and went to batting practice, and Jake got a ball. Jake, do you remember getting a ball? Yeah, he's watching PJ Mask, so he's a little distracted. Um, and we we were going to get T-shirts, and Mickey Rivers was signing ball was signing things. So we took the ball to be signed, and Mickey couldn't have been nicer. He signed the ball and then offered to sign a picture for Jake. Now, of course, three quarters of the people listening to this show don't know who Mickey Rivers is, let alone my <laughs> two year old son. But that's fair. Um, including my but so my first thought was, oh God, he's going to give us a picture, and we're going to have to pay twenty dollars for this which was not really high on my priority list. Um, but Mickey kind of said, that, you know, kind of said, look, you know, I'd rather give it to a three-year-old who can look me up on Google than a, 40, than a 45-year-old guy. So I got a good laugh out of that. So we now have a picture in Boston, Mickey Rivers, made out to Jake. And then he sat through six innings of, of Yankees-Devils-Rays game. And he would have gone longer. I don't think Carly could go much longer. He had a good time. <laughs> and he wants to go back again. Well, I- well, I'd like to say two things. First of all, Jake will look up Mickey Rivers in about five years and yep. figure out who he is. And second of all, I, I am happy to note that anybody that did not watch last night's game, that the Yankees lost due to the exploits of an ex-Met, Travis Starnell. So I was very happy to see that, well, unfortunate for Seth, unfortunate for me, that the Yankees lost in Jake's first game. And I'll be happy to remind Jake when he starts looking up Mickey Rivers that he lost his first game. Not a problem. That's all on our Of course, but then as a Yankee fan, we do have to remind you that you know Travis Darno was a was a big prospect that you traded for, and as with most of your prospects, nothing. I'll even that. Oh, you see, you see, and I thought you were going to go a different way, which says, as a Yankee fan, we have to remind you that we're the Yankees. And you're the Mets, and that should be enough. And I was like, "That's a given." Okay, so we're in August. The the there have been a couple of changes to Major League Baseball over the last couple of years. Uh, First, there was the pitching clock between the innings, which I think has sped up the I almost said speeded, sped up the game a little bit, maybe four or five minutes, and then this year. They changed the trading deadline. So normally there we would have two trading deadlines. One would be in July, which would be everybody's a free-for-all, which generally had like two or three significant trades. But then there would be the August 31st waiver deadline. And what would happen in the August 31st waiver deadline is that teams that did not – the teams that had really, really expensive players – 
would put them through waivers in hopes that somebody would either take them or make a trade. And one of the biggest um, examples of this was Randy Myers. A couple, of, This is like two decades ago now, where San Diego put in a wa- waiver claim and all of a sudden had a $6 million pitcher that they never wanted. So this year, Rob Manaford and the Players Association decided that there would only be one trade deadline. I'm not really sure if that is going to make more trades happen on July 31st, but I will tell you there will be better trades on July 21st and probably more explosive trades on July 21st, including seeing Madison Baumgartner, and that's next week, ladies and gentlemen. That's a week and a half away. So we will be having our trade deadline uh, preview next week. But Seth, if you were going, if you were Rob Manafort and you had carte blanche to do whatever you wanted with Major League Baseball and could make one rule that would be changing, what would that rule be? I don't know, to be perfectly honest. You brought this up yesterday, and here, and here's the problem. I don't want to go with the DH rule because that's too easy. Uh, I don't. I don't. You know, we've kind of dealt with the pitch. The pitching coach can only go out once during. Was it once during a, during an inning, or something along yep. those? There's been so many of these like little rules. The reality is, I don't know what exactly because I I really haven't had a chance to think about it. But what, what I would to me, it's almost from a marketing perspective. Baseball as a sport is completely stagnated from a popularity standpoint, at best. Um. It is far behind basketball and football from popularity. It is not it is not a young game. It is not well marketed in the US for US players. Um, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, his frustration with Mike Trout, who's the best player and pro, you know, seems to be the Willie Mays of our generation and has no interest really in marketing himself, which is the antithesis of the major other sport of a lot of the superstars in other sports, especially basketball and football. I would have, what I would probably do is, and it's not per se a rule is I would figure out the best way to market some of the international players to gain us popularity. A Ronald Acuna jr. A Juan Soto guys like that, because I don't see how you can, I don't see how you're going to have any growth at this point, the way without some of these star players being marketed. And I realize it's it's kind of the antithesis or being marketed better or marketed correctly. I'm not sure what the right verbiage is. Because right now, this is a sport that is just getting old and stagnant. And you can move up the speed clock, you can move up the pitch clock, and you can do whatever you want to do. And look, watching Pedro Guerrero Jr. and, and, and Jock Peterson in, in the home run contest was great. But until you can figure the only way I can see it is growing, see, the, see it kind of being reignited, is to have the individuals being marketed correctly and growth based on that. And until that happens, you're okay. not there's no there's no rule that's going to increase the popularity of baseball. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, Seth did not mean Pedro Guerrero Jr. He meant Vladimir Guerrero oh, Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> Touche. That's okay, Seth. Just another 1980s reference. We got you. But I, I get your point. But here's mine when it comes to that. And you say baseball is not growing. And I get that. Does it have to grow? Is it okay where it is? Because when you get when you went to the park last night, now last night is a weekday night in July. School is out. I would say the majority of the people there were probably kids. Mm, no. I, 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 no? Okay, because when I went no. to SunTrust Stadium a couple of weeks back, I went on Tuesday night. And I would say, eh, 75% of the stadium was filled. Okay. But of that 75% of the stadium filled, 50% were kids. So that means 75% of the 75% were kids. And if there are kids that are coming to the game, there are kids that are going to be baseball fans. You don't need to grow. You just need to stay. You, you need to change to your demographic. Well, and that's what the kids are for. You're changing the demographic to the point that you may not grow anymore. But if you said I had 50 cents and in 10 years I had 50 cents, that's okay. I don't think baseball needs to get to 60 cents. I think they're okay with staying at 50. I think they have enough. You think a, you think a, you think a business, and make no bones about it, it's a business. It would be comfortable with no growth over ten years. I think no, crazy. I don't. But, but growth is Seth. But growth is not necessarily uh, measured in people at the ballpark. That's my, that's I think my that, case. Do you think that if do you think if that if there is stagnation at the for attendance purposes that ESPN or Fox or whoever who has the baseball contracts are going to continue to pay more and more money when when there's no more growth, when people are, when a game is not increasing from a popularity stand, from a growth standpoint. That's a good point. Okay, I'll 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 take that under advisement. Go with that. Thanks. <laughs> no, look, I don't have, I don't have any I don't have any retort to it. I'm happy to I'm happy to say you know what? That's a good point. And I think you're gonna have. I get that Fox may not pay that much, but I think there will be other avenues. I really do. I, I th- first of all, I don't. Yeah, I okay, so let me get to my point before we, we go into our last five and we do have our final five coming. If I'm gonna make one change I wanna outlaw is I wanna get it out. I I'm sick and tired of it. You say this you say this every week. Yes. But here's the thing. I'm okay with it in football. I am. I've said that. I just don't like it in certain circumstances. 
I want nothing to do with it in baseball. Nothing. I don't want I don't want robots in the Okay, let me make another one. Right now they're they are experimenting in the Atlantic League with robots behind home plate. Yep. Where basically the strike zone based on a a um uh artificial intelligence says what's a ball and a strike. I will tell you right now if that comes to major league baseball, you will have lost a fan. I have no desire for that. I, I, I can't even fathom that. If, if that's the case, you might as well bring in the robot baseball that we used to play in, in arcade games because that's what you're getting. No, thank you. Absolutely not. No, thank you. And if you want to have a trading deadline, Rob Manaford, make it August 15th. Make one. I get that you want to start the trading process early, but – What's going to happen after July 31st when teams can't either make trades or are just dumping or are just losing it? They're just losing on purpose. I think that's going to happen. I think that's going to happen a lot, that people are just going to tank. Okay. we got three minutes left. Seth, go. Usually it seems recently Sean's uh, the one to bring up uh, athletes to, you know, dying before their time. Another one did on this past weekend, Fernell Whitaker, who was the number one boxer in the world in between the Hearns, Hagler, Sugar and Leonard era, you know, Tyson, you know, Tyson was a fighter in the late 80s, and the Roy Jones of the mid-90s. Everybody, he was, he went anywhere in real, got jogged on quite a few fights, including against Julio Cesar Chavez. Um, unequivocally the best fighter in the world for a couple of years and would have given any fight, and even the boxing historians who are loath to give any recent fighters credit um, or how they would do in olden times. For now, Whitaker was a rare exception where he would have fit in any era and been extraordinarily successful. Um, died at, I think, age 55. Got hit by a car, if I heard it correctly, in Virginia. And you know, just a, a real true shame and a great, great boxer. Um, condolences to his family. Well, that's precisely what I was going to talk about, believe it or not, that Pernell Whitaker and Sweet Pea, and I believe Pernell Whitaker was in the Olympics, and I believe that was the first time that I ever remember him being in the, was it 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles that yeah. he was in? That amazing, and that amazing 84 team that had like, it won about seven gold medals. It was an incredible boxing team. Do, do I get some props for actually remembering that he was in 1984 Olympian? I think I I am, I am very, anyway. I'm very impressed. I'll give, I'll give you love for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. So next week we'll talk about the NBA and we'll see what, if you are Adam Silver, what what rule would you like to change? I'm giving Seth an entire week to come up with something rather than we'd like to market Americans. So please come bearing your gifts, uh, and we will talk more about that next week along with our trade deadline right before I leave to go to Cheerio, London. So for Seth Kamen, Palmer, and of course, for Kamen, Black Sports, um, Radio, thoughts week. Hopefully, we're all ready. Have a good one.